tonight. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll get back to 2 Kings 19 next uh, Sunday. The reason I'm doing this tonight is this is my heart for the coming year. So we are going to, we, we used to do this every year, and what I want to do in the coming year is see if we as an entire church can read through the entire Bible in a year. Amen? So we will have those handouts hopefully soon, maybe by next week. And, we'll, and what we'll do is each week we'll have a memory verse out of, this, out of the section that we're reading in the upcoming week. It'll have a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, part of Psalms and Proverbs. How many of you guys have read through the entire Bible? Okay, praise the Lord. How many of you read through the entire Bible in a year? Okay, praise the Lord. Guess what? I try to do it every year. Some years I try to do it twice uh, if I can. So I would encourage you to do that. And the reason I wanted to look at Genesis, I hope it'll get you excited uh, for when we start reading through the Bible because Genesis is amazing. It's a great book. Uh, Anybody who was here when I taught this here, you would have had to have been here eight years ago. So there's a couple of you, but not very many. And so I just wanted, we're going to take one week. We're going to look at Genesis. I want to look at, uh, we'll see in the outline, you know, how do we approach the Bible? When we look at the Word of God, how do we approach it? How do we look at it? We're going to look at the introduction to the book of Genesis. It's the book of origins. So here's the reality. Right now, the book that is most under attack by the world in the Bible is the book of Genesis. They attack creation, believing in evolution. They attack marriage when God made it again between one man and one woman. They attack, they attack gender. They're attacking every, so the foundation, if you, don't, if you don't have a problem with Genesis chapter one, you won't have a problem with the rest of the Bible. If you've got a problem with Genesis chapter one, you're going to have a problem with the rest of the Bible. Amen? And so what we're going to see tonight is in the significance of of Genesis 1-1, just the very first verse in the Bible, we're going to see that it reveals the greatness of God. It also uh, speaks of the beginning of time. It speaks of the Trinity. The first verse in the Bible wipes out atheism, monotheism, evolution. Uh, Every cult is wiped out by Genesis 1-1. And so I wanted to go back just to get us excited about the whole counsel of God and to know that this is where you'll start when you do do your Bible through the year. And when we get the outlines, you can get a head start. It's okay. So we'll probably have them next week. I would encourage you. And I love it. You know, it's good to have accountability. It's good to check off the box each day and to know that we're in the word every single day. Amen? Amen. So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each and every one of us. We thank you for the whole counsel of God, that you wrote it down for us. We ask now as we go to this very beginning of the book, the very beginning of what we see as time here on earth, the picture of your creation and how you created everything, that you're the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And Lord, we ask that we leave here tonight excited, more excited about who you are, more in love with you, because to know you better is to love you more, more in awe of your creation. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So Genesis chapter 1, and I will say this, I, my Bible, most of you might notice this isn't my Bible, that this is my backup Bible, and the reason I have to use my backup Bible is my regular Bible, Genesis is falling apart in there. Literally, the whole edges are torn off. I can't read the end of it because, and praise God, a Bible that's falling apart hopefully is a sign of a life that isn't. Amen. 
And I want to encourage you. So I, I, the Bible that I had was out of print. So I found this one online, paid a lot of money for it, had it covered so that if I ever lose that Bible, I have the same exact Bible here. And so I don't teach out of that very often, but I'm looking forward to getting into it tonight. So let's go through the outline again. I kind of went through it, but we're going to see how we approach the Bible. First of all, we approach it knowing there is a God. Amen. We know that there is a God. The Bible tells us that we can know God exists because of what we see in creation. So there's a lot of people who have given their life to the Lord. I think of people like Enoch, never read a Bible. A Bible didn't exist. And he walked with God. And one of the greatest evidences of the God that we serve is creation. And we're going to see that there are even Christian people that call themselves Christians today that say they believe in evolution. Let me just tell you right now, ready for a heavy, heavy statement? Ready? If you believe in evolution, you're not a Christian. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Guys, the word of God is so clear that God created us in his image and we're not amoebas. Can I get an amen to that? It didn't go from the goo to the zoo to you. Anything that the world is teaching, all that they say is scientific. I want you to know that this is the most scientific book ever written, and it's not even close. Amen? And the Word of God is true, and we will see that He is the creator and the power of it. The Bible tells us that we can know God exists from what we see in creation. We come believing in the place, it, it is the place where God has spoken to man perfectly and comprehensively. Well, here's everything we need to know is in here. Everything, everything we need to know about marriage is in here. Everything we need to know about living a holy life is in here. Everything we need to know about salvation is in here. Everything we need to know about the second coming of Christ is in here. Everything we need to know about the world around us and how it was created is in here. Guys, read the book, don't wait for the movie. That's my exhortation as to why we should be reading the whole counsel of God. And I wanted to see us do that as a church. We also believe it should be understood literally. A lot of people struggle with the Bible. There's people that struggle with the seven-day creation. And they'll say, uh, Mike Massey, who helped uh, helped us plant this church, is doing some online uh, short teaching on TikTok. And I've been watching him every morning. And he's actually going through Genesis, oddly enough. And people are challenging him saying, oh, rocks have been dated to be six million years old. Well, first of all, no. And second of all, and they say it like it's a fact. Carbon dating has been proven not to be true. Guys, we take the word of God literally unless it's impossible for it to be literal. Amen? So when he says he created it in 24-hour day, it's a 24-hour day. And we'll talk about that in detail. Straightforward and true according to its context. We always want to know context. Observe it, interpret it, apply it. By the way, there can be many applications in every text, but there's only one interpretation. Okay, you can't interpret it seven different ways and have them all be true. The word of God in its context will be true to its context, can only be interpreted one way, while it may have many applications for our lives. The second thing we're going to see is an introduction to Genesis. I'm going to give you the introduction to the whole book, because I want you to be excited about reading through the entire Bible this year. And I want you to be excited about reading through Genesis again. It is the foundation for all of Scripture, and we'll go into detail. We'll talk about the significance of the very first verse in the Bible. Again, it reveals the greatness of God. It speaks of the beginning of time, and it speaks of the Trinity. And then we'll look at the six days of creation. The first day, God said, let there be light. Should give us all a headache, it'll give you a headache, that God created light before he created the sun, the moon, or the stars. That means the light from the, from the moon and the stars was here before God put the stars in the sky. And by the way, he is 
the light of the world. Amen? And we get to heaven, we're not going to need any other light. The second day, he creates the expanse, uh, the atmosphere. The third day, uh, land and vegetation. The fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The fifth day, sea animals and birds. And the final day, land animals and man. And we're going to see all of that in just one chapter, just how all of this came into being. And the Bible, again, absolutely rocks. I love the Word of God. And I haven't taught Genesis in eight years. I was excited reading through it myself. It's always a good reminder to go back and look at it again. So let's begin there first. I'm going to do a little background before we get into the actual text. So how are we to approach the Bible? When you open the Bible, how should you read it? Some people read the Bible and they'll say to me, well, I read it, I don't get anything out of it. Well, part of that, part of that struggle can come from how you approach the Word of God how you read through it. First of all, I want to encourage you, be wide awake when you're reading it. (laughs) Amen? That's why it's good to start your day with the Lord. Now, it's good to start it and end it, but I, and now I'm probably the only one, but have you ever read it when you're laying in bed at night and woken up with your face in your Bible? I want to encourage you, read the Bible when you're alert. Read the Bible when there's no distractions. Turn off all the music. Sit down. Open up the Word of God. Begin with prayer. Ask the Lord to help you to understand. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand. He is the one who gives us the understanding of the Word of God. And so we need to be attentive, be prayed up, walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that we know God exists because of what we see in creation. It says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day utters speech and night into night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. Creation speaks of God through every language. When you look at creation, there has to be a creator. You, no one would ever look at a watch and think there wasn't a watchmaker. Well, let me tell you, the universe is far more intricate than any watch ever created. Guys, there is no universe without a creator. Amen? And it takes way more faith to believe. First of all, it violates the law of biogenesis, the second law of thermodynamics. We can talk scientifically all day if you would like, but nothing comes from non-matter to matter. You can't take dead matter and bring life from it. It's impossible. It's the law of biogenesis. The law, second law of thermodynamics says that things go from order to disorder, not from disorder to order. If you leave a car out in the middle of a field, you come back five years later, it's a rust bucket, right? You don't you don't drive by a factory that explodes and have brand new cars popping out. Amen? Things don't go from disorder to order. They go from order to disorder. See, all these are very common scientific laws that are refuted by the world, but here's the only reason they refute them. They don't want to have to believe there's a creator. See, if they believe in creation, they got to believe in a creator. If there's a creator, they're accountable to him. So what they want to do is live an ungodly and sinful life and make excuses for why it's okay to live that way because there's no right and wrong. You're accountable to no one. Well, guess what? Before it's over, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says in Romans 1, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one can stand before God on judgment day and say, I had no, no one showed me anything. If you look around at the world around us, if you look at creation, if you look at the human body, anybody take an anatomy class besides me? If you took an anatomy class 
and you left there still not grasping the fact that we have a creator, you were not paying attention. Amen? The human body is amazing. And the way that God put us together is amazing. Dr. Brandon will tell you so, right? Amen? It's, it's our body. He created it to even heal itself. We, be, we come to the Bible believing it's a place where God has spoken perfectly. It says in 2 Timothy 3, one of my favorite verses, 3:16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, what is right, for reproof, what is not right, for correction, how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is given by God, all of it. There's not a jot or tittle. There's not a space between the letters that God didn't put there. This is the, all of it is the whole counsel of God. We don't pick and choose the parts we like. Amen? We either accept it at all or we're denying it. We believe the Bible must be understood literally, that it's straightforward and true according to its context. The Bible is much more than a book. It's a library of books it's a bo- and, it, and books written in different literary forms. I'm not going to go into it because this would be more like a a seminary class, but different parts of the Bible are written in different literary forms. There's poetry, there's a story form, there's antithetic, antithetic is where it gives you opposites, they come right one right after another. See, it's important to understand the literary form when, you, when you're trying to understand the context or when you're teaching the Bible, because based on the literary form, it helps you better understand the context itself. So it's much more than a book. We must understand the Bible literally according to its literal context. For example, when David said, all night I make my bed swim, I drench my couch with my tears, he's using poet, poetic liter, liter, literary, literally form, a literary form, and we understand he didn't literally mean he cried so much that he flooded his room. So again, we believe it's literal unless it can't be. Jesus says, I am the door. It doesn't mean he's a door. Amen? But it means he's the only way in. Amen? I am the good shepherd, and he was the shepherd of the sheep. But again, so the point is that we take it literal unless it's impossible to be literal. When the Bible speaks in a historical narrative, which is what we're looking at in Genesis, we understand it is literal history, not a bunch of make-believe fables, myths, meant to only tell a spiritual story. People will say, Jonah and the well, that's just a story to teach a lesson. Noah and the ark, that's just a story to teach a lesson. No, There was an ark. Noah built it over 120 years. Yes, God brought all the animals onto a boat and and brought a great storm to bring righteous judgment upon the earth. That is not a story that we teach. It It is a truth that we understand. Amen? So guys, if it's in the Bible, especially in historical form, it's literal. It's truth. It's not a fable. It's not a made up story. If we don't approach the Bible this way, how can we approach it? Then it's, well, it, it'll say, well, just how I feel about the text. By the way, I'm, how you feel about the Bible is irrelevant. Amen? Well, I just don't feel, I just don't feel that verse. I'm not feeling it. Uh, it doesn't care about your feelings. Can I get an amen to that? And your feelings lie to you. Anybody got an amen? amen. Okay? So I, I just don't, it just, I just, but I feel this way. And the Bible says that, so I'm going to go with my feelings. Uh, the word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? And again, though this teaching of the scripture can have infinite applications, there's only one true interpretation to every text in the Bible. The only proper way to interpret Genesis 1 is not to interpret it at all. Read it. It says it. That settles it. Can I get an amen to that? It says it. And we're going to talk about that. 
So as we begin tonight to look at the first book of the Bible, know that it is the perfect word of God. Begin by simply believing what it says. If we struggle with the straightforward interpretation of Genesis, we will struggle with the whole Bible. You've been taught in class billions of years. You've taught about light years, how long it took the light to get here. We're going to talk about the fact that God created the light before he created the stars. He didn't even need the stars to have the light. Can I get an amen to that? See, guys, we need to understand what the Word of God says. Jesus declared the importance of believing Moses. He wrote, For you believe Moses, you will also believe in me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We can't say we believe in Jesus if we don't believe in the book of Genesis. Amen? So that's what I just said. If you believe in evolution, you are not a Christian. Now, again, it's not, it, people say it's not salvific. Well, okay, it's not a source of salvation. But let me just say this. If you deny what the word of God says, that God is the creator, and you make him less than the creator, you're making Jesus less than he is, and you're denying the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? He is the creator of all things, and nothing was created apart from him. I beg and faithfully warn every pious Christian not to stumble at the simplicity of the language and stories we'll often meet here in Genesis. He should no, not doubt that, however simple they may seem, these are the very words, works, and judgments, and deeds of high majesty, power, and the wisdom of God. Martin Luther said that. Don't doubt what the Word of God says. Open it, read it, obey it, trust it. So how do we, trust, how do we approach the Bible again? Now, our introduction to the book of Genesis— it's the book of origins. It's the foundations of all, of all scripture. The Bible is a compilation of, of many books, and the book of Genesis is the foundation of all of them. Jesus quotes from all the first 17 chapters of Genesis. Quotes from them. Jesus, New Testament. They're true. Without the foundational book of Genesis, the rest of the Bible is incomprehensible. The word Genesis means origin. And the book of Genesis is the only true and reliable account of the origin of all components of the universe and the origin of life itself. When people will argue about with, with you about creation, they'll say, well, well, you weren't there. I'm like, you're right. My best friend was. <laughs> word, amen. <laughs> the Alpha and the Omega, the spirit of the living God that lives inside of me was there. He is the creator of all things. And so, yes, I know it to be true because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within me. We won't get to all of this, but as you're reading through it in the coming weeks, it has the origin of the universe, space, mass, and time. There was no time and there was no space, at least not in this earthly realm before Jesus said there was. So what was there before that? Headache. Amen? There was, wait a minute. And he's outside of time and space. How does that work? Again, the origin of the universe, space, mass, and time is in Genesis. The origin of order and complexity generated by prior cause, not a spontaneous accident that we see that origin in Genesis. The origin of the solar system, uh, the sun, the moon, planets, and all the stars in the heavens. Genesis. Origin of atmosphere and hydrosphere, water and the atmosphere itself, unique body of liquid water, the perfect mixture of oxygen and nitrous gases necessary for life, and again, duplicated on no other planet. 
Again, that origin is spoken of in Genesis. Isn't it amazing that we're just a perfect distance away from the the sun to survive? Do you know if we move 1% further away, we'd all freeze to death, or 1% closer, we'd all die? Amen? Isn't it amazing that it's a perfect mixture, that the plants give off what we breathe in, and they breathe in what we give off, and how God just so divinely put it together that this planet would, would be sustained. Now again, if it wasn't held together in his hand, it would all fall apart. The origin of life is seen in this book. How living beings came into existence from non-living chemicals. Impossible to explain apart from the special creation. How did God breathe into Adam and make him into a man? We see the origin of not only life, like with birds and animals and everything else, but the origin of man. The most complex of all creations. The intricate uh, physical chemical structure, the capacity for life and reproduction, free will, thought and understanding, a nature which contemplates love, beauty, and worship. We're the only people that do that. Only human beings do that. None of the animals are created, right? So we we have a spirit. Animals have minds and souls. We have mind, soul, and spirit. Again, the Trinity, amen? We have mind, soul, and spirit, and the origin of man. The origin of marriage is found in Genesis, created by God as a monogamous, committed relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Amen? You've heard it say God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen? Ordained by God picture of Christ in his church. It, you know, we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And again, the origin of it is in Genesis. We see the origin of evil, man and creation, Satan's choice to turn away from the loving creator and his perfect plan. The origin of languages, the Tower of Babel, where all the people gathered together and in their arrogance tried to build a tower up to reach God. And God confused them and gave them differing languages that which caused them to scatter throughout the earth. Where did languages come from? They came from the Tower of Babel. We see the origin of government. It's in the Bible. Amen? And the government that we use here in our country comes from the Bible. We see the origin of cultures, the origin of nations, the origin of religion, the origin of God's chosen people, the book of Genesis, the foundation of all true history, science, and true philosophy. Every other book of the Bible is dependent upon the book of Genesis to truly make sense. There are 165 Genesis passages quoted or referred to in the New Testament. 165. Jesus quoted or referred to, as I said, someone or something from each of the first, the early chapters in this book. Every New Testament writer who quoted or referred to Genesis regarded the events not as myths or allegories, but historically true and authoritative. If you reject the historical accuracy or the authority of the book of Genesis, you undermine the entire Bible. So guys, this is why we need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to study it. Because this is the foundation for everything else. And this is the book that Satan attacks the most. He attacks creation, then there's no creator. He attacks marriage, and it's a picture of us and our relationship with the Lord. He attacks, again, everything, all those, every of those, those basic things in our walk with the Lord are all found in Genesis. The author of Genesis, we know, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says in Second Peter, for the prophecy came not of old time, but by the will of men, but holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Moses, the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. Penta just meaning five. It's also referred to as the law. 
Then after the law, you have the prophets, the law and the prophets. And then from our Jewish scholars, we have the law and the prophets and the writings. That's the Old Testament. So we see the law, the first five books, and then we see after that, the, uh, the prophets. Pentateuch considered as one book in the Jewish tradition. The Old Testament was broken down into three sections. Again, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Individual books contain references to Moses as the author. Forty allusions in the Old Testament to Moses' authorship of the law, the first five books of the Bible. It's even called the book of Moses by some. Some scholars believe that they were written documents of history written down by Adam and Noah that were given to and compiled by Moses. Uh, That's possible. That being said, we know the Holy Spirit's the one who wrote it. While we as Christians do not check our brains at the door or live by blind faith in spite of the evidence, it is not science that proves the Bible, but rather the Bible that proves science. In my lifetime, scientists keep changing their minds. You know, I'm, I'm... closing in on being 60, okay? But if you listen to scientists, I think I'm about 4 billion years old because the world was 4 billion years younger when I was in elementary school than they think it is now. So 4 billion years went by evidently in the 60 years I've been here. See, scientists keep changing their minds. Scientists believe something and then it's proven not to be true. Then they change their their position. Guess what? No one ever has to apologize for the Bible and the Bible never changes and the word of God has always been true and the word of God will always be true. Amen. Amen? And so we stand on that foundation and we don't waver from it. The world, Satan are on the attack against the foundational book of Genesis. Again, teaching evolution in our schools and teaching it like it's fact. The attempt to destroy the Bible. The word of God is perfect without any need of ever being changed. There were scientists who used to believe in, the, in a flat earth. And now I got Christians calling me, telling me the world's flat. I'm like, bro. The Bible says that God looked down upon the circumference of the earth. So if they had been paying attention, the scientists, they would have known it was round, not flat. Amen. See, if we just read the word of God, it says in Jonah, went down to the depths of the sea where the mountains are. Guess what? There's mountains on the bottom of the sea. We would have known that a long time ago without without Jacques Cousteau going down there in a a submarine because the Bible already said so. Amen. Guys, study the word of God. The word of God is true. If God did not create Adam, if there's no original sin and falling away, there's no need for a savior. See, without Genesis, there's no original sin. Without original sin, there's no need for a savior. Amen? That's why the word of God is under attack, especially the book of Genesis. God gave us the book of Genesis that we would understand God's plan and man's need for a savior. Without God our creator, there's no need of our savior. So let's begin there in verse one. We're going to look at the introduction. We we have the introduction to Genesis. Now the significance of Genesis one, we're going to see it reveals the greatness of God. It speaks of beginning of time and it speaks of the Trinity. In the beginning, God. If you don't have a problem with those four words, you'll be fine with the rest of the Bible. Amen? But if you reject those first four words, you're going to have a problem with the whole Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens 
and the earth. So the first verse of the Bible is the foundational verse of the Bible. It has been said that if a person, again, really believes Genesis 1-1, he will not have a problem believing anything else recorded in Scripture. If God created all things, and he controls all things, and he can do all things, and it's no accident, God is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible because this book is about him. Amen? In the beginning, God. Now, we should be exhorted by Scripture. We should grow because of Scripture. We should try to follow examples we see in Scripture. But this book isn't really about us. It's about Him. Amen? But as we read the book about Him, there are applications for our lives so that we can become more like Him. Amen? So in the beginning, God. This one verse wipes out all of man's false philosophies about the origin of the world and its meaning. Genesis 1-1 wipes out atheism. Atheism, ah, means without. Theism means God, without God. An atheist is without God. And they'll say, I'm an atheist. I'm without God. And here's this crazy part about atheists. If they don't believe there's a God, I'm not sure why they're so concerned that we know there is a God. Because if they don't believe there's a God and they're just going to die and go fall on the ground, why are they so worried that we believe that there is a God? Why are they so adamant to try to prove that there is no God? By the way, that will never happen because it's impossible. Amen? But it refutes atheism. It refutes pantheism. Pantheism is a teach of many gods. Hindus believe in 30 million gods. I remember flying back from India. I'd go to India every year for seven years in a row and teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach the Bible. And they would always teach me a lot more than I would teach them. They had such a passion for the Lord. They would go into villages and dig a grave and say, I'm here to preach the gospel and plant a church. And if you want to kill me for my faith, I already dug a grave. It's right out there because I'm not leaving. That's a whole nother level of faith that we see in our country. Amen. But I was flying back with this gentleman and he said, you're a Christian. I feel sorry for you. We have 30 million gods. You only have one God. I said, I feel sorry for you because we have one true and living God, one true risen and living Savior, and you have 30 million dead idols that can't do anything. Amen. He got, he got upset. I said, you can't even name all your gods. It refutes materialism, humanism, evolution, pantheism, polytheism. It refutes them all. Why? Because we learn in the beginning God. Now the word God there in Hebrew is Elohim. It's 35 times in the first 35 verses. Just in case you're wondering who this book is about, 35 times in the first 35 verses of the Bible, we see the word Elohim. Now what's unique about Elohim, it's plural, but it's applied as if it's singular. Why? Because it's God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it's spoken as if he's one, but we know that it's, it's in a plural form because it's one God in three persons. The name of God that stresses his majesty and his omnipotence. The Hebrew plural ending, I am, the plural ending used here in the singular and plural name with a singular meaning, again, shows that God is one and yet plural at the same time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the first four words of the Bible, we know that when time began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were there. You know what that tells us? Jesus is creator. He's not created. Amen? The Mormons would teach that Jesus is a created being. 
other false teachers who teach that Jesus is created. Jesus always has been and he always will be. Amen? Again, there are so many differences between him and all the false messiahs of the world. But Muhammad was created, he died, and he stayed dead, and he never rose from the dead. Amen? He was the prophet of the sword. He married 10-year-old girls. He would get people to convert by going out with marauders. He'd stick a, a, a sword to your throat and say, convert or die. Guys, Islam, if you really want to follow it, and we love our Muslim friends. We want to pray for them. Amen? We want to see them saved. I have Muslim customers. I love them. I care for them. I pray for them. I want to see them saved. But what they believe is a lie. Islam is a lie of the devil. It's demonic. Amen? It rejects Jesus. It makes Jesus less and man more. And Muhammad, this false prophet, what I always tell people is Muhammad said, follow me or I'll kill you. Jesus said, follow me because I died for you. That's a different message. Can I get an amen? So we see this Hebrew plural that, that God there is speaking of the plurality of God and, this, and the singularity of the fact that it's one God in three persons. The word created there is barach, used always only of the work of God. Only God can create and that, that can call into existence that which does not exist. It says in Hebrews 11, the words were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen, which are not made of things which are visible. Man can only make or form things that God already created. I had a guy that used to debate with me in college a lot, and he would always want to talk to me, and he was a science guy, and he would say, well, I can create things, and I can, I can, I can you know, create DNA, I can do this, I can do that, and I'm like, well, show me how you do it, and he takes out a little thing of dirt, and I go, get your own dirt, bro. <laughs> you didn't create that. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> you know, we like, to take, we like to take stuff that already exists and form it and say we created it. No, God created it. We just may put it together, amen, sometimes, right? So God is the creator, he and he alone. The use of the word create here informs us that at this point, the physical universe was spoken to existence by God. God alone, infinite and eternal. God alone, omnipotent, which means all powerful. God alone is able to call the universe into being with his incredible order and complexity, and he did it with words. Now, I want to say this. And I had a guy say this to me just the other day, one of my clients. He said something, he goes, oh, I can't say that because I'll speak it into existence. Let me clue you in. You can speak nothing into existence. Amen? And you got the name it and claim it, claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it. You got to claim it. You got to just, you know, you got to claim it. I claim it, I claim it, I claim it. And then you got a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. It's going to be in my driveway. And there's this mentality where people think they can speak things into existence because Jesus did, because God did. Let me clue you in. You're not God. Amen? He alone can speak things into existence. You can't. He said light, and we're going to see that. He said light is and light was. Amen? So it's so important that we understand and we don't apply attributes of God's to our... Now look. We're made in the image of God and we are to, to follow after his example, but we're not God. And so that mistake, and I, I you know, I'm trying to, I'm to my customer, but I, I rebuked him gently. I just said, bro, you can't speak anything to existence. Well, yeah, if I, if I just say it enough, it'll happen. I said, no, I, it's got nothing to do with anything you have to say. It's, it's God is in control. Amen. 
So you can't sit there and just proclaim things and think that you have the power to do it. And it's a misrepresentation of scripture. We have the Holy Spirit, so you can proclaim. No. I'm glad that I can't proclaim anything because I'm not smart enough to proclaim the right stuff. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Amen? I would be proclaiming stuff in my flesh. God alone is infinite and eternal. We cannot fully understand how great God is. We're finite men and women trying to comprehend infinite God. I've been listening to several books about heaven in the last, uh, since my son went there. And, you know, I want to know, I want to know more about where my son is, but I should want to know anyway. Amen? Because that's where we're all going. But one of the many, many things I love about heaven, and I've always said this, and I truly believe it, is when we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away. And I have incredible expectations for heaven. And I don't care how great you think heaven is, it's going to be greater than that. Amen? We're going to get there and go, dude, whoa. Amen? And by the way, God's greater than you think. Amen? And we're going to see Jesus in the Revelation 1 form that he has in heaven. Amen? And heaven's going to blow us away. So we're, we, and part of the problem is we're finite men trying to understand infinite God, finite men and women. So we only have a limited level of understanding and we try to make sure that God fits into our ability to understand. I have no problem saying God is greater than I can understand because if I could fully understand, he wouldn't be that great because I'm not that smart. Amen? God is greater and it's going to blow us away. I try to live my life backwards. I share this with you guys every once in a while. What I mean by that is, I imagine standing before Almighty God. Now, we won't be there for the great white throne judgment because we're saved, but we will be there for the Bema seat judgment where we will stand before the Lord and we will be held accountable for what we've done with the gifts he's given us and the life he gave us on this planet. We will all be accountable. Now, it's not whether or not we go to heaven or hell. That's already been settled at the cross. Amen? But we will be accountable for how faithful we've been. Parable of the talents. Are you just buried in the sand? Are you being faithful for the kingdom of God? Are you sharing your faith with others? How have you been? And some of us, believe it or not, God gave us gifts. We use them. The only reason to have any power is because the Holy Spirit does the work through us. We're just kind of hanging on for the ride. Amen. And then he gives us gifts for using the gifts he gave us. It says he'll give us crowns, it says in Scripture. So we're going to stand before God. So often I'll, I'll imagine standing before him. And I know when I stand before him, I'm going to be heartbroken in a lot of areas of my life where I didn't do as much for him as I could have. But by then it will be too late. But it's not too late right now. Amen? So I try to, what is it going to be like standing before Almighty God and realizing, oh Lord, I, would, oh Lord, I could have done better. Lord, I, uh, Lord, forgive me. But I try to put myself there now and say, what are those areas that I can still fix because it's not too late. Amen? One of the things that God's put on my heart more than anything else in the last few years is to love people more. And I mean love everybody more. Amen? And I love everybody more. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Amen? That's what God's been putting on my heart the last few years. He says he created the heavens and the earth. The word heaven there in Hebrew is the heavens, or heaven, does not mean stars of heaven created on the fourth day. The essential meaning corresponds to our modern term of space. He created space. There was no space to put people. There was no space to put the creation. So he had to create the space to put the people in, to put the planet in, to put the stars in. So he spoke, 
God created the heavens. He created the space for us to indwell. That's what that word means, as in space and time and matter. The essential meaning corresponds to our modern term space. Notice this, it says, and the earth. In Hebrew, it means ground or land. It refers to the component of matter in the universe. The planets don't come into existence until the fourth day. So he's not creating planets on day one, but he created the heavens and the earth. He created the elements that were needed to bring them together to make the earth and the the space that was needed for the the place for all those things to be put. So before he could create anything within the space, he had to create the space and the matter that was needed in the space. Amen? Everybody's got a headache. Amen? The planets did not come again until the fourth day. In the beginning, those first three words, not only does it it does the first verse of the Bible speak of the creation of space and matter, but also the beginning of time. In the beginning. The corniest joke I've ever heard about the Bible is that Jesus was a baseball fan because the first four words say, in the big inning. It's not what it says. In the beginning. Not only does, again, so it speaks of the creation of time, the beginning of time when it comes to our universe, to the place where we dwell. Genesis 1-1 could be paraphrased. This is my paraphrase. It's going to give you a headache, but I wrote it down and, it, and it's fallible because I wrote it down. The transcendent means all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, omnipotent, all-powerful Godhead called into existence the space, mass, and time universe. That's what Genesis 1 means. Let me say that again. The transcendent, he's beyond all things, our grasp, our understanding, the all-powerful Godhead called into existence space, mass, and time universe. In the beginning in Hebrew uh, is Bereshef. In Greek, it's in Arche. And John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So in, in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. And in, Genesis, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And that's a picture of Jesus because he is the word. So I love that Jesus is referred to as the word because he's the fulfillment of this word. But he's also the one that spoke all things into existence. Amen. He's the word, you're not. He can speak things into existence, you can't. He's all powerful, you're not. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and praise God for it, but to him alone be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. So God created the heavens. The simple fact that God's creation is even more amazing when we consider the greatness of the universe. You ready for another headache? I'm gonna give you a, little, so a few facts on the universe. A typical galaxy contains billions of individual stars. Our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, contains 200 billion stars. Our galaxy is shaped like a giant spiral rotating in space with arms reaching out like a pinwheel. And our sun is one star on one arm of the pinwheel. And it would take 250 million years for the pinwheel to make one full rotation. And that's only our galaxy. There are many other galaxies with many other shapes, including spirals, spherical clusters, and flat pancakes. The average distance between one galaxy and another is 20 million trillion miles. Our closest galaxy, uh, Andromeda galaxy, is 12 million trillion miles away. Now, why do I tell you all this? Because the Bible says that God holds it all in the span of his hand. So the greater the universe is, the greater our God is. Amen? He holds it all in the span of his hand. And then we're, and then we're worried about things in this life like God can't handle it. Amen? 
He holds the universe in the span of his hand. And the, and the, and the lo- more that we study scientifically, the greater our gods gets because the greater, again, our universe is. Every patch of sky, the size of the moon, it could look, if you look very deep, you could see about a million galaxies. I'm just giving me a headache. My head's going to explode. And by, but you know what that means? Our God is great. Amen? Did that all happen by random chance? There was an explosion. There was nothing. Something, and they all exploded, and they're all the perfect distance away. Stop. God is bigger and greater than all this creation, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven in the span of his hand, and the dust of the earth in a measure. God did it all, all this himself. Indeed, my hand has laid, it says in, in Isaiah 48, the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call them, they stand up together. God created the heavens and the earth. And if God created the heavens and the earth, we must forever put away the idea that anything happens by chance. Amen. God is sovereign. God is in control. God holds it all together. Nothing happens by random chance. Evolution teaches everything happened by random chance. So it takes way more faith. I've shared this with you before. I had a coworker that was an atheist and believed in evolution. He said, you really believe that a man was swallowed by a fish? I said, yeah, I do. But you know what's even crazier? You believe that that fish became a man. Amen. (laughs) What's harder to believe? Man swallowed by a fish or a fish scratching his arm and coming out of a puddle and becoming a man over time. Stop it. It takes way more faith to believe that. Amen. People who are otherwise intelligent often fall into the delusion. Uh, A biochemist wrote, chance alone at the source of every innovation of all creation in the biosphere. Pure chance, absolutely free but blind at the very root of the stupendous edifice of evolution. Random chance. They're believing in chance. We don't believe in chance. We believe in divine order that comes from Almighty God. Amen. Amen. Amen? And it takes more faith to believe the other. It tells us that God used no pre-existing material to create the earth. The ancient Hebrew word, again, bara, is specific. It speaks of creating something out of nothing, showing that God created the world out of nothing, not out of himself. God is separate from his creation. Unlike Eastern and pantheistic perceptions of God, the Bible teaches the universe could perish, and yet he would remain. They believe that God is in everything. In Santa Cruz, where you know, I grew up, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross, but it's really the Tofu Tide, a New Age lesbian capital of the United States. And it's in that place that they worship, the Bible says you'll worship creation rather than the creator, and people are losing their minds about trees. They will literally, you know, uh, put, my parents had a redwood tree on their property that was literally turning our house. They have, they, by the way, they had a couple hundred redwood trees on their property, but there was one that was blocking out the sunlight and it was causing issues. So my parents were going to cut down this tree. Some people found out and they came and chained themselves to my parents' tree. <laughs> and they were not going to leave and they were crying out for the tree, the poor tree. It's sanity. Amen. Amen. Tree came down, by the way. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's a tree. It's okay. The Bible says the last days will worship creation rather than the creator. You know, there's that saying, save a, you know, save a baby, go to jail, be a hero, save a whale. They care more about whales and trees than babies. Let me clue you in. We're to be good stewards of the animal. We're to be good stewards of this planet, but we don't worship it. And the world is not our mother. Amen. Mother earth. 
You know, Mother Nature. No, Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. And we worship Him and Him alone. And don't lose sight of that. We need to, again, focus on the greatness of our God. He is the creator of all th- everything. Now, there's one thing. I'll just take a minute on this and we'll get to verse 2. There's a thing called the gap theory. And the gap theory is a widely held opinion by some Christians that there's creation in Genesis 1-1 and then billions of years happen before verse 2. So God starts creation, billions of years happen, and then there's verse 2. There's so many problems with this thought, it's ridiculous. It's both scientifically impossible and theologically destructive. First of all, trust in a fossil record of death of animals, but we know that nothing dies until Adam and Eve sin. Amen? So they're saying there were people before Adam and Eve. There's a fossil record of all these things that took place, and that's the billions of years. That's why we get scientific readings. By the way, they're incredibly flawed because men created them, not God. Amen? And what happens is you have people trying to please what the scientists teach and shove it into scripture. There's a thing called exegesis and eisegesis. Eisegesis is having a thought process and then making it fit into the Bible, making the Bible fit it. Exegesis is reading what the Bible says and teaching it. Amen? We don't start with a, a, a concept and make the Bible say it. We just read the Bible and the concepts come from the word of God. Amen? And, and when you read through the Word of God, no one, no one, nobody who just read this would think that there's a billion years between verse 1 and verse 2. Nobody. And yet we, I have people, some people I even respect that believe this. The Bible clearly teaches that death came through sin of Adam and directly contradicts the gap theory that death prevailed for ages before Adam. So I'm just sharing that with you because you might hear that term, the gap theory. No. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I love this. It was without form and void. The matter was, uh, again, unformed and uninhabited, and it was first just mass that was there, and God is going to take what he already created when he created the heavens and the earth, and now he's going to form it into something else. Darkness was on the face of the deep. The physical universe was created, yet neither formed or energized. Light is the form of energy uh, in the deep, un- unformed element sustained in the darkness of space. The Spirit of God, it says there, move. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, wind, the Holy Spirit is referred to as breath and wind. The word there is ruach. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Formless waters like a formless earth, a, a presence rather than a cohesive body. So what was needed for water was in, in the, the, the sense of the universe, but nothing had been brought together. There was no form. There was no order yet. And God is going to put them in order. Although the ma- marvelous universe had been called into existence by the omnipotent creator, it had yet to be energized and set into motion. This must await the energizing action of the Spirit of God and the activating power of the Word of God. See, nothing was created apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Amen? And we too are become new creations in Christ by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. The Word of God is the truth 
The, and then the Spirit of God convicts us and draws us unto the Lord. And we see and the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the Word. It's good stuff. So at this point, the earth, the elements, not the planet, was a formless, watery dispersion existing in static darkness. The first of uh, the first, the Spirit of God imparted motion and form and entered in shapeless elements. Next would come light. Look at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The first record of God speaking in the Bible, and God said, let there be lights, and there was light. Let there be light, and there was light. The Word of God brings forth light. It says in 2 Corinthians, For God commanded the light to shine out of the darkness and shined on our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world, and in him dwells no darkness at all. Kind of drives my wife crazy because I like lights on. Anybody else got a marriage like that? God tends to put us together where we have to die. Can I get an amen to that? She likes it dark, I like it light. She likes it cold, I like it warm. You know what I mean? We just, she gets up at 4.30 in the morning, you know what I mean? And we all have these different things about us, right? We have different differences in our life. But I love light. And when we have a discussion about it, I always win because I say, yeah, babe, but Jesus is the light of the world, so. And Satan is the prince of darkness, so. I'm just saying, amen. I think God's on my side on this one, amen. But we see the Trinity. God created in verse one. The spirit of God was hovering. And then verse three, God said, still no sun yet. There's light with no sun. By the way, when we get to heaven, there's gonna be light, but not from the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, amen. He's going to bring light into the world. Notice what it says in verse four. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Darkness was not removed completely, but only separated from the light. And the light was good. So how do you, how do you chase away darkness? You bring light. Amen? And who has victory over darkness? Again, the light of the world. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first what? What's that say? First day. So how, it, how was a day determined? Light and dark. Day and night. Day. Amen? The word there for day is yom. That word, every time it's used in Scripture, that form, when it's used that way, it's speaking of a 24-hour day. Just a day between day and night and day. Right? Now, what's crazy is there was days before there was a sun because we determine days by what? <laughs> the earth turning around, right? We'd make a turn and the sun turns dark and it turns light. Amen? One rotation around the, the sun is a year. That's how we, we define date. But what's amazing is God created light and dark and he said, the expanse of light and darkness, it's a day. So the definition of a day is not, people say it's a period of time. It could be thousands of years. Well, he wrote verse 5 so we wouldn't be confused. Let me read it again. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. day. 
The very first time God uses the word, he defined it as light to distinguish it from the darkness, which he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The same statement at the end of each day during the the duration of each day, exactly the same. Beginning with the first day, continuing thereafter, there was establishing a cycle of days and nights, periods of light and darkness. In the Hebrew Old Testament, again, the word Yah means a 24-hour day or the daylight portion of a 24-hour day. Without exception, it never means period or age. So people will come to you and say, well, a day can mean the day of age, an age, day of ages. No. Again, so Yah numerical objective, it always refers to a 24-hour period. So God is making it very clear that, that creation took place in seven days. It actually took place in six days. And they rested on the seventh day. Amen? So as we're reading through this, again, we always start off with literal. Amen? Not figurative. This is an historical account, historical literature. Everything we read, we assume it's literal unless it's impossible that it's literal. So they're literal. And that's how we read Genesis. Then he says the second day. So the first day light. The second day, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. So evening and the morning were the second, what does it say? Day. Under the firmament, waters under the earth itself. Now, We'll see, you'll see this as you're reading through Genesis and you're through the year. You're going to get to Noah. And when you get to Noah, he's going to be told to build a boat because God's judgment is coming upon the earth and that rain is going to fall from the sky. Here's what you need to know. When Noah was building the boat, it had never rained before. Ever. Now, when it says that God put water under the earth, it was in the ground and above the earth. Now, there was a water canopy that surrounded the earth until the days of Noah. And it explains why people like Adam and Methuselah and others lived 900 years. Because the earth was, per, was, was protected. God had this layer of water that protected it. It was a greenhouse effect. Uh, most people, myself included, believe that the weather was the same in the South Pole as it was at the equator. Because it was surrounded by water and it was this greenhouse effect and God had created it that way. And people lived a long time. When, when Noah, when the flood comes, water comes up out of the ground and water comes from the heavens. And we see that the, the ages of human beings and everything, the way that the world operates, all changes when, with Noah's ark. And so He's saying that he created, there's water under the earth or in the ground, and there's water surrounding the earth, and that's the firmaments that he's talking about here. Probably, again, a water canopy that surrounded the earth and acted like a global greenhouse. It performed uh, uniform global temperatures. It inhabiting mass air movements. There was no windstorms that kept them from happening. There was no rainfall. There was morning dew, but no rainfall, no barren deserts or ice caps, less less vegetation worldwide, filtering out ultraviolet rays and radiation, contributing again to human uh, and animal health and longevity. It says there in verse 8, and God called the firmament heaven, not the heaven of the throne of God, 
but the heavens, in talking about space above the earth. So the second day, he made the expanse, the atmosphere. He, again, you have the, the mass and the water being separated and God putting them into place. Day three, land and vegetation. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the land appear and so it was. And God called the dry land earth and gathering together the waters he called seas. And God said, it was good. The first time we see God saying it is good. God creates it and it is good. He created the land and he created the seas and it was good. And the earth brought forth grass and herb herb that yields seed according to its own kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is it itself according to its own kind and God saw that it was good so the day and the morning were the third what day notice even creation is consistent not only in human beings but in animals and plants notice it says the plants recreated after their own kind so apples brought forth more apples and, and uh, grass brought forth more grass and, you know, monkeys, more monkeys and human beings, more humans. Amen. And so after their own kind, speaking of what was created. So the waters under the firmament still constituted a, a shoreless ocean and God, by the power of his spoken word, spoke and he separated the oceans. He created the oceans and land masses in between the waters, all in preparation for man to exist there. The word earth is the same word in verse one. God used the same formless matter to form solid ground. Not only had rocks and minerals been formed, but so had, uh, you know, fertile soil, sand and silt and clay with abundant chemical nutrients and moisture. God said again through his spoken word, created the first living and reproductive elements. Three types of vegetation, grasses, all spreading ground covering vegetation, herbs, all, all bushes and shrubs and trees, all woody plants, including fruit bearing trees made as full grown plants, not as seeds. Notice that everything he makes, he makes full grown. He creates it, it's done. So the next time you're worried whether it was a chicken or the egg that came first, it was the chicken. Can I get an amen? <laughs> because God creates them fully formed. Amen. Was Adam fully formed when he was made? Yes. Were the trees fully formed? He didn't say he, he you know, put plants in the ground and they grew up. No, he created them fully grown, fully created. God implanted each created organism with a seed program to enable reproduction of that organism. We call that DNA, don't we? Amen? It's pretty amazing that everything in the world, God has created it so it could reproduce itself, but it only reproduces itself. Amen? And we were created to reproduce as well. After its kind, again, that word indicates the limitation of variation. Each organism was to reproduce after its own kind, not after some other kinds. The fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. Look at verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. Divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. Let there be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. And so it was. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. What's the greater light to rule the day? What was it? What is that? Sun. It's a sun. And what's the lesser light to rule the night? What is that? It's the moon. 
So God created light on the first day for three days, been light as though there were a sun and lesser light at night as though there were a moon, and now he puts them in their place. So that means the light existed before the, before the, the, very, element, the very things in the sky that gave off the light. So God created the light without the need of the moon, the sun, or the stars because he is the light of the world. Also gives the earth movement in relation to the sun and moon that determines seasons and the calendar, it did not take billions of years for light to form from a star to, uh, to reach us because the light was already here before the star was even created. The light from the star existed three days before the star came into existence. Two great lights, again, the sun and the moon, and sadly, these very lights have been worshipped by men throughout the ages. You know, people worship the sun god and the moon god, and they're part of his creation. We don't worship creation, we worship the creator, amen? The fifth day, verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures. And every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. I love the, that God continues to say it is good. And God does love his creation, but we don't worship it. Amen? He sees his creation. You know why he made it? Why did he create everything? Why did he create it? For his glory and for us to live on. Amen? God created it for us. And he made an amazing planet in six days. Imagine what this world was like before sin came. Amen? You go to Yosemite, or you go to the Bahamas, or you go to somewhere that you would consider beautiful. For me, if it's no palm trees, it's not vacation, but that's just, I'm just saying. And there's palms in the Bible, so amen. And in heaven, it's good. But the point is that, you know, God created this world so amazingly, and we never saw it before sin, and I remember being in Yosemite with all the pastors from Calvary San Jose, our senior pastor took us there. And we're looking at it half dome and it was beautiful. And we're all looking at it, kind of mesmerized by it. We're taking pictures of it. And then our senior pastor walks by and goes, uh, compared to heaven, it's dung heap. It's a pile of garbage. It's a pile of something else is what he was saying. It's a dung heap. Guys, think about the most beautiful things that we have on this earth. And there are many of them. And I just want you to know it's fallen. God created in six days. How, now, the Bible said, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. How long has he been in heaven preparing a place for us? 2,000 years. And there will be no sin when we get there. And there never will be. And it's going to be perfect. So if he created this in six days, and then sin has corrupted it, and we still see the beauty and the awe and the reverence for some of the most beautiful things we have. By the way, I love making the drive to Santa Barbara and looking left. Can I get an amen to that? It's just beautiful, especially at night when the sun's hitting it, or you know, when the sun's going down. It's beautiful. But imagine how amazing heaven's going to be. And imagine the place he's preparing for us when we get there. I can hardly wait. So we see the the sea, the animals, the birds, the earth is now lush and beautiful and covered with vegetation and the skies light up and uh, a sign of God's greatness and all the necessities for living creatures to dwell. And God creates the first living things. Word living there is nephesh, which is a word for soul. Plants don't have a soul, by the way. Amen? 
but animals and men do. God said he created living creatures all at the same time, including extraordinarily large ones. I believe there were dinosaurs as well. Some will refute that, but if God created all the animals and he's creating them right here, I'm thinking there were dinosaurs, amen? God created them. And again, according to its kind, which means no evolution, according to its kind. Every, he keeps saying according to his kind. Let's finish up. The sixth day, verse 24. It says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw it was good. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Notice it's plural again. Let us make man in our image. That speaks of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are triune beings. We are, we are body, soul, and spirit. Um, our triune God created us in his image. In his likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, of, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we have dominion over the earth. The earth doesn't have dominion over us. We don't worship the world. Amen. The Bible does say a righteous man cares for his animals. But I want you to know that the earth is here for us to enjoy and not for the earth to rule over us. Amen? We don't worship it. We don't praise it. Uh, we are good stewards of it. Notice he said, let us, the triune Godhead, crowning point of creation, a living human was made in God's image to rule over creation. Man's body was formed the same way as the bodies of the animals had been formed. Man would have the breath of life and a living soul breathed into him. Notice what it says here as we finish up, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The image of God had created him, male and female, he created them. Notice there's two sexes, male and female. There's no non-binary. There's no zize or they, them. Can I get an amen? We need to pray for those people. They are so confused and they're being raised up in a culture that teaches that nonsense. And you know what? We took the Bible out of schools the year I was born, 1963. And we have Bibles in prisons. If we had more Bibles in schools, we'd need less Bibles in prisons. Amen? We took the word of God out. Create the male and female. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the earth. I've had people that are vegetarians and people like, and again, if you're a vegetarian, God bless you. That's fine. You can do that. More meat for me. But here's the reality. <laughs> Rise, kill and eat. It's in the Bible. I'm just being obedient to the word of God. But I want to say this. While we were created in God's image, we're not the creator, we're not omniscient, omniscient, we're not omnipotent, we're not omnipresent, but we do have some of his characteristics. God hears and so do we, God sees and so do we, God smells and so do we, God touches and so do we, but he doesn't need a human form to do so. But I want you to notice that we do not worship, we have dominion over the, so you are more important than any animal on this planet. Amen. We love our animals in my house. Um, we just lost another cat, and that's not good. Coyote's probably got another one. It's not good. We've had enough death in our house for it lately. But let me just tell you this. As much as we love our animals, 
I would give up all my animals and all your animals and every animal on this planet for 15 seconds with my son. Amen? Because he's more important. Amen? Take good care of your animals. A righteous man cares for his animal. If you're abusive to an animal, I believe that is sin and it's wrong. Can I get an amen to that? You shouldn't do that. We should, be the, we should treat animals with kindness, with love, and, kind, and we should absolutely do that. But we never put animals equal with people. Amen? Amen. Jesus died on the cross for people. There will be animals in heaven, and that will be wonderful, and that will be amazing. But again, we have dominion over the animals, not the other way around. And then he says there, and God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree which fruit yields seed, and it shall be good for food. You know, we, having a balanced diet is a good thing. God created fruits and vegetables, and we should eat them. Can I get an amen to that? And I, I could be a vegetarian if I didn't love meat so much. I do love, I do love fruits and vegetables. I love them. They're amazing. By the way, can you imagine what apple's going to taste like in heaven? <laughs> amen. Can you imagine when you go grab a piece of fruit, when you get to heaven and bite into that thing, it's going to be something that's never been flawed or tainted by sin. It's going to be amazing. Amen. Can hardly wait. Verse 30. Also, every beast of the field of the earth and every bird of the air to everything that creeps on the earth, which has life, I have given every green herb for food. And so it was so. Then God saw that everything he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth, what? Sixth day. It was very good. That's what he says there in verse 31. I mean, it was good. Now he says it's very good. God saw everything he made, and it was very good. God was pleased with his creation. And at this point, right here, there's no death. There's no pain. Nothing dies. Plants don't die. Animals don't die. People don't die. They're walking in the cool of the day and talking to God, directly to him, having intimate fellowship with him. This was very, very good. Unfortunately, we're going to get to chapter three and we're going to see man mess it up. No death, no pain, no sorrow, lying, laying down with the lamb. Notice it says that all the animals are just eating, uh, you know, the, the, the herbs and the fruit and the vegetables. They're not eating each other. It was a place where everything was safe, but the sin of man would corrupt it. But by God's grace, he sent his son to suffer and die that we could be redeemed. See, man messed it up and God fixed it. We've messed it up and the Lord has fixed it for us. Amen. Amen? So I hope, I know that this is, we took a sidebar for a minute, but my hope is that having read this, it will get you excited to continue to read through Genesis because Genesis is the foundational book of the whole Bible and we need to understand what it says. And I want to encourage you to read it as a historical literary form that is literal in what it says. And, just, and as you read through it, I promise you, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be strengthened in your walk with the Lord. And my prayer is, how many of you, don't raise, lying's a sin, okay? How many of you are going to commit to doing your best to read through the Bible in a year this next year. Okay, God bless you guys. Do your best to do it. We'll give you the tools to do it. We'll start having memory verses every week. By the way, memorizing scripture is a good thing, amen? amen. His word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him. It's amazing how when I have verses memorized, how many opportunities I get to share them, amen? So how we approach the Bible, 
knowing that there is a God, believing that the place where God has spoken to man perfectly, everything that we need to know. We believe the Bible to be understood literally. We saw that this is the book of origins, the foundation of all scripture. Genesis 1 reveals the greatness of God, the beginning of time. It speaks of the Trinity. And then we saw in the six days of creation how God divinely brought it all together without lifting a finger. He did all of it by just speaking a word. That's the God we serve. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for everyone's patience tonight, as I know we looked at a lot of information, but Lord, I know I'm excited to read through Genesis again as we begin another year here in a few weeks, and just to read through and to be reminded of your creation, to be reminded of how, how, how man fell, to be reminded of your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, we ask for each of us that, Lord, we wouldn't just make another New Year's resolution. But Lord, this would be something that we, we commit to. Lord, we want to read your Bible because to know you better is to love you more. And Lord, we want to love you more. And Lord, we want to know you better. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, 